Let's pray once again as we come to the word together. Father, I thank you for each person that you've brought here this evening to celebrate with us, that we can celebrate together. And Lord, there are so many things that disturb peace in this world, this world torn all apart. And we pray, O oh God of peace, that you would speak. Let your voice be the loudest voice here this evening. Would, you, would your voice push out all the other noise? And would you give peace to all your children? And would you beckon others to come and become your children? And find peace, the peace that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? Where does your mind run when you hear the word peace? Maybe, yeah, end of war? Heaven? Amen to that. Calm? Others? What comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? Where does it run? Reconciliation? World peace. World peace? You guys are a lot more noble-minded than me. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking about a hammock and a good book. <laughs> I was thinking about a hike in a state park during the fall. I was thinking about dinner around the table with people I love and a meal that I love and the dessert that I love and, no, and everybody's getting along around the table. I think of other things too, like sweet conversations with brothers and sisters talking about the things of God. I think about a good night's sleep. Feels a little rare for me these days. Or that moment where, you know, those rare moments where you're so comfortable in your cozy bed and you're like, I hope that the, you don't want to move because you don't want to end it. But it ends up being, and you have to get up and you have to move on with the day. Or even the feeling of exerting yourself and doing good work and feeling the satisfaction of a job well done. There's all kinds of graces in this life, isn't there? Even in a fallen world, a world that's torn all apart, there's, all, there's lots of little things that we can enjoy. Lots of things that our minds can run to rightfully when we think about peace. But when we think deeper about peace, where does your mind run? Yeah, my mind runs not so much to these particular pleasures in life as sweet as they are and as good gifts as they are. They run to a person. They run to the Prince of Peace. And I want to think about the Prince of Peace with you this evening. I think it would be a great use of our Christmas Eve to just think about this one phrase, this one royal title of Jesus, Prince of Peace. So let's do that together. What does this title mean? Prince. Prince. We know what the word prince means. He's the son of a king, right? Well, Jesus is the son of the king, the great king. And we expect, as he's the prince, the increase of his authority. He's the prince, and he's going to reign as king. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. What's the next part? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. 
He is a prince or a king. He's one, a son who is given to rule, to lead his people. And if we know our Old Testaments, we know that him coming as a king is a fulfillment to massive promises that have been made. Pastor Ben talked about that this morning in our morning service. Um, But massive promises, like in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God promised David, who was in that day the most ideal king at the time, and God promised that he would never lack a son to sit on his throne. An ultimate fulfillment of that is going to be the son of David, the ultimate son of David, which is Jesus. Jesus would be the ultimate ideal king. He would succeed. This prince, this king, would succeed where every other king failed. And it's helpful for us to remind ourselves about the Old Testament and how kings came and they went, right? There were good kings and there were bad kings and even the good kings were pretty bad at times, right? And one of the things we notice if we're reading the stories kind of patiently and we're letting them develop and kind of build up in our own minds and hearts like any good story, you read, you read these stories and there's this anticipation like this king could be better, right? But there's always a fall narrative with these kings. In other words, they always let you down. But the point of the prophecy we're studying right now, and even this title, is that there's going to come a king who's going to rule, who's going to lead his people, who will not have a fall narrative, who will not let us down. He will be the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises. He will not be one king among many. He will, in last assessment and final assessment, be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Other kings were too often the source of problems. They were the source of trouble. They were the source of instability. They were the source of scarcity, like people being in want because of their foolish decisions that they made. They were the source of conflict. They were the source of the kingdom being ripped in two. Kings brought a lot of things to the table, but they were so often the source of trouble. But Jesus would prove to be the source of peace. And that's the meaning of this phrase, is that Jesus is going to rule as a prince of peace, the one who's going to be the source of peace, and a peace that's going to last. So consider that word with me, this term peace. It's such a rich biblical term. It does, we do well to kind of rehearse it. Old Testament term, shalom, New Testament term, arene, and both of them use, the Old Testament term used like over 200 times, New Testament term, even this much smaller New Testament used 85 times. This idea of peace is like a subterranean stream that runs throughout the scriptures. It's such a beautiful thought. And so the idea is so full of beauty. Sometimes the term peace is used as a greeting, like shalom, peace. But the idea um, has with it um, the idea of not having any conflict or the absence of all conflict. And it implies a sense of prosperity, a sense of tranquility. You have to use a lot of synonyms to kind of get at this idea of peace because it's so rich. It's got this sense of integration. In other words, 
like everything holds together just right. None of the pieces are missing. You know how frustrating it is when you're trying to put together a puzzle and you find out that one of the pieces is missing after putting in all that time? Life is filled with things like that, where things don't quite fit. Even the best friendships we have, like there's imperfections in everything. Even the good marriages, even in this room, there's imperfections in everything. Nothing quite fits just right. But this idea of peace has this idea of integration where none of the pieces are missing. Every, everything fits just right. There's no issues left unresolved. So it has the sense of wholeness and a sense of order. We were made for this. We were made to experience this peace. God didn't create the chaos. The world was without form and void and God filled it and it was good. It was beautiful. Sinful human beings injected chaos into this world. Don't we know it? I love this uh, old Bible dictionary definition of the term peace. And this is going to help us kind of, I think, get, get our, our footing a little bit more when we're trying to explore this idea as it relates to Jesus. Think about this definition. Peace is, the term peace is used as a spirit of tranquility and freedom from inward and outward disturbance. This is really, really good. I think this captures pretty well what the Bible teaches about peace. It's a spirit of tranquility and freedom from inward and outward disturbance. So there's lots of things that can disturb the peace. And if you want, uh, you know, I realize that we all got some things to do um, after we leave here today, but if you want something in the next few days to meditate on, something to apply what's being talked about tonight, you could ask yourself the question, what disrupts my peace within me and outside of me? What are the things outside of me and around me that disrupt peace? And what are the things inside of me that disrupt peace? That's something to really think about when we want to think about peace. What are the things that, that disrupt peace from without, outside of us? Sometimes they're really trivial things. Like you walk in the yard and why did the kids leave that out? Now it's raining. Something small like that. There's so many little things that can bother us. The disorder of a home, it feels a little cluttered, right? And it disrupts the peace. It's something outside of us. It could be conflict in relationships, right? Or it could be your attempt to try to reconcile relationships and the other person just doesn't want to do the work, right? These things outside of us that press in. It could be the political climate that presses in on us and affects our lives. It could be a lot of things in our lives that, that press in and um, can disrupt the peace from without. It could even be things like big decisions that are looming overhead, responsibilities that we feel that we have to mount up under. Um, it could be um, people that you love making destructive decisions that pain your heart. It could be bodily issues, you know, from a hangnail to cancer and everything in between. The things, you know, and I say that that's outside of us because we're going to see that within deals with the spiritual issues of the heart. And so even our physical frame is part of what's outside of us to be able to affect us. 
So the list could go on, and I don't want to spend all the time talking about what disrupts our peace from without. So let me keep moving. What disrupts the peace within? It presses it a little deeper because a lot of times we think it's those things out there that are disrupting the peace. When really, some of the biggest issue and the biggest disruption to peace in our lives, believe it or not, is what's happening inside of us. What's happening in our hearts. If you were to look in your own heart, what would you say if you're being honest? What is it that disrupts the peace? One of the things I would say for me is unbelief. The times where I'm really doubting God and not trusting him are the times that I'm quickest to just be a mess inside. Whatever is going on outside, I'm a mess inside. So unbelief can be a cause of disruption, of internal peace, or idolatry, where our hearts are uh, replacing God and putting something else in that place. Anything that we're loving and valuing, delighting in, that's equal to or above God. Idols are like those lovers that you invite in and then they rob you. They rob you of your peace. These are ways that peace gets disrupted, uh, disrupted on the inside. There's all kinds of God replacements. There's all kinds of ways that we hunt for peace. In one sense, you can describe the human effort in life as one big hunt for peace. We're trying to find it, and we'll go anywhere to find it. And we'll try something, and if that doesn't work, we'll try this, and if that doesn't work, we'll try that. Maybe we'll go back to this thing, right? We'll do whatever it takes to try to find peace. We were made for peace. We were made for peace, and sometimes it feels like a fool's errand. Have you ever heard of snipe hunting? I wish those of you who heard about it could have told me about it when I was a Boy Scout. Because when I was young, I remember, (laughs) I was young, and we were uh, at this Boy Scout retreat, and the older scouts that we looked up to and thought they were cool, they're like, do you guys want to go snipe hunting? And I'm like, we're like, yeah, of course we do. We're hunting something. Okay. So apparently that this is like a real creature, but um, people don't really try to hunt it. It's kind of a mythical creature, and they just try to, and so these scouts, these older scouts are like grabbing bags and pillowcases and they're, they're just totally locked in. They're in the zone and we're like, okay, here we go. And they're handing us stuff to help capture this mythical creature. And uh, they're telling us about the tactics, what it's going to take. And we're out there in the bush. And 10 minutes turned into 30. 30 minutes turned into an hour. An hour turned into an hour and a half. And pretty soon they're like, you know what? You guys keep going. You're doing a great job. We're going to go inside. And so we are young scouts. And I can tell you one thing. We never found that snipe that night. Okay. It was, it was a fool's errand. And we, we bit it. And the reality is a lot of people are searching for peace like snipe hunting. It's a fool's errand. You got the devil being like, that's going to do it. That's going to do it. That will get you peace. I promise. Does he keep his promises? No. The world claims to be a really good counselor when it comes to telling us where to find peace. Oh, but how many people have been conformed to this world and left more restless than ever? I remember reading this article one time and they used this phrase, they, people have an inner murmur. This inner murmur, this, this just murmur in the heart that just doesn't stop. It's so restless because there's just no peace. But you know what the biggest enemy to peace is? 
It's not the devil. It's not the world. What's the other enemy? Us. We have to look in the mirror. We are the biggest problem to our own peace. This is true because it's possible to have peace. It's, it's, it's possible for there to be chaos on the outside and real peace on the inside. But if there is disorder on the inside, it's going to be really hard to find peace on the outside. And so, in short, peace is a spirit of tranquility and freedom from inward and outward disturbance. But this is depressing, isn't it? To think that the entire human race at one level is on one big snipe hunt, it feels like some cruel joke. And the sad part is, is that there are some that are just searching and searching and searching, and they're like, I have opened way too many doors in this life, and I think I'm done. And they want to end it. Because they can't find it. And my desire tonight is not to tell you to stop hunting, it's to redirect you on your hunt. Because God has not left us wondering where to find peace. He sent him. And that's why we're here. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And he came to reign, not just over the universe, but to reign over every individual heart. And he himself is willing to be our peace. So I don't want to Stop the hunt. I want to say, keep trying, but let me tell you the direction to go. I want to guide you on the pathway to peace, which means I have to tell you about the prince of peace. Because the reality is, is people will be keep looking. They'll keep looking and they'll keep looking, but there has to be people in our lives that are going to say, we found it. We found him, a person And he is the one that gives peace. And I want to be very plain tonight about how this way of peace was made, okay? Jesus paved the way of peace by his blood. He came to die. This time of year, we think about the cradle. He was born. But we have to think about the cross because that was born to die and to raise, and to reign, and word has it, he's coming back again. But we have to recognize how peace was made, how peace came, and how we can actually experience peace. This is what the apostles who walked with Jesus taught. They, in fact, they, you could describe their message, you could define it as this, the apostles preached peace. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. This is, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to you who are near. That means all people, Jew and Gentile alike, get to hear about the way of peace. And it says, even in this very book that we're studying, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, the most famous chapter in all the book, right? It says that he was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace came because he was willing to be crushed on behalf of an undeserving people. This is the way of peace. And listen to the hope 
in Romans chapter five, verse one, so we can understand what's the result of this. It's gonna give the terms of peace and it's gonna tell us the result. It says this in Romans 5, one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it actually tells us in that verse, how do we get peace with God? By faith. We have to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. We have to trust in Jesus Christ alone to be reconciled to God, to be made right with God. This is the way of peace. And to look in any other place will leave you empty and eventually eternally destitute of this peace. This is the only way. This is the only person in which we will find peace. And to be justified by faith, that means to be declared legally righteous in God's sight. But the terms of peace are you gotta believe him. You gotta trust him. You gotta throw yourself at his feet. And you'll know. You'll know that's real because you'll find yourself hoping in him and following him and wanting to walk with other people that do the same. And I wanna point out too that it's not, when you talk about peace and what God's coming to do through his son Jesus, it's not just to reconcile sinners with a righteous and holy God. That's true, but it's bigger than that. Listen to Colossians 1, verse 20. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, Jesus is reconciling all things, people to himself that put their faith in him, and all of creation, which is going to be really important if peace is the spirit of tranquility and freedom from inward and outward disruption. He's going to secure the entire thing and make sure that there is peace that is going to last. And we need to get this. Once there is peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, a person can live each day of their lives with a profound sense that he is well-pleased with them. You can live that way each day with a sense that he's pleased with you, not because you're so great, but because you are found in his son, the Prince of Peace. It's an amazing thing that we can say we have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have to say that while we can have peace with God, and that's, I want everyone in this room to have peace with God. But just because you have peace with God doesn't mean that it's always going to go easy with everybody else. There's going to be a mixed response even to this message that I'm giving tonight. Listen to Jesus' words. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus is anticipating that, that this message that's going to be proclaimed about his death on the cross as the only way to reconcile sinners to a holy God He's anticipating that that is going to wreak temp- temporary havoc in people's lives. It's going to mess things up. It's going to shake things up. In fact, even at Jesus' dedication, when he was brought into the temple, right, and the priest named Simeon held him in his arms. And in one sense, he's saying, I can die in peace now because I've seen the Prince of Peace. 
But he's also, in a sense, has a lump in his throat because he knows that this child is going to mean the rising and falling of many in Israel. And he looked at Mary as they brought him into the temple and said, a sword is going to pierce your own soul also. Things are going to get messy. Things are going to get messy because people are at war with God. And they desperately need to be reconciled. But people that are at war with God, some are going to keep warring against him, even though this is the most incredible message that could ever come to someone who is alienated from God. Jesus' name is the most adored and disdained name of all time. And you can tell because some of you, even in your own families, know this. There's some that just love Jesus. There's some whose hearts have been captivated by Jesus, some whose hearts have been changed by Jesus. And there's others who haven't. And it creates a tension, even sometimes during the holidays, as long as you don't talk religion, right? But the reality is, is this is going to disrupt things. This will disrupt things at a time, but it's not going to be this way forever. And you might, you might ask, well, pastor, you know, Jesus came and he's the Prince of Peace. But if I'm being honest, I don't see much of a sense of peace. I don't feel much of a sense of peace in this life, whether it's peace around me or whether it's peace within me. And down the home stretch here, I just want to, I want to address this. This is where it gets a little more practical because the reality is this, is that the peace that the Prince of Peace gives is a peace that starts now in the heart of those who believe in Jesus. It's a peace that can grow through this life as we walk with him, but it's ultimately going to be a peace that's experienced in full in the life to come. There's peace now, but most of it is later. And so we live in this in-between time. And I wouldn't be being honest if I didn't say and give a really healthy sense of realism. It's a battle for peace in this life. You can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ and it can be a battle to walk in that peace day in and day out. But even though it's a battle day to day, there's a glory in it. There's a glory in it when someone bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and dwelt with the spirit of God so leans on the Prince of Peace that his peace starts to rub off on them. And it's supernatural because things, you can't always control the things around you, right? But when a heart is controlled by Jesus, it's amazing the kind of peace that can come in really adverse circumstances. Even when things doesn't seem like the table is set too well for you that day. But all of a sudden there's peace that surpasses understanding. And so this is a peace that Jesus wants to give his people. This is why he said so beautifully in John 14, 27, hear this hope. Peace I leave with you. My peace, I love that phrase. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. With as hard as things can get in this life, we don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to walk in anxiety. We get his peace as we rely upon him. It is hard fought, like I said, like in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Then again in verse nine, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication. Make your requests to God. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will play referee over your heart and mind. You'll be walking through your day and all of a sudden he'll blow the whistle. If you're walking closer, then he'll blow the whistle and be like, peace, peace is leaking. Your peace is leaking. And then you go to him and he restores your peace. Is it going to be automatic? It's going to be hard fought, but it's glorious when we get to walk in it more and more. This is the encouraging thing. Even though it's not just downloaded into us and it's just automatic, as much as I would love that, probably as much as any of you, it can be learned by those who walk with Christ. Do you remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13? I've said, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In other words, there can be a whole lot of messy things happening around me, but he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this is the key. The key is to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's no magic pill. We have to walk it in day in and day out. But maybe a picture will help. You remember Jesus or Jesus um, walking on the water and Peter asked him if he can come out and Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on water. It's kind of like toddler steps. He's taking them. He's walking on water. All is well until... Fear creeps in. What's he paying attention to now? The water, the waves, right? He's looking at the waves and how big they are. He's looking at the external difficulties all around them. What happens inside? Anxiety, fear starts to take over. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. You're like, that's my story. You're telling my story right now. But then what happens? Who's there? Jesus is there to lift him out of it. You know, this is what it's going to be like in this life. We're going to have times where we're wobbling out. We're like, hey, this is pretty good. And then we're going to take our eyes off. We've got to get pulled back up again and start walking. And the beautiful thing is, the more we walk with Christ in this life, we get to enjoy more of this peace. And this peace is a foretaste. And there is a promise here for those who will fight this fight. Isaiah 26, 3, I love this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Now, where is all of this headed for those who believe in Jesus, in the Prince of Peace? Well, it's headed to a glorious future where God's people are gonna be in God's place under God's rule for eternity. There will be peace around us right? Because he's reconciling not just individual sinners, but all of creation to himself. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. In other words, he's going to take care of all the stuff on the outside that can mess things up and disrupt peace. But more than that, he's going to take care permanently of all the things on the inside that can disrupt peace. So we get to look forward to peace all around us, peace within us, and peace right in front of us as we behold the Prince of Peace himself. And in a sense, not have to take our eyes off of him. There will be no end to this experience of peace. 
And this is where words just fail. Because the reality is, is even all the things that we listed at the beginning of the message, um, these kind of temporal pleasures that we get to enjoy, they're beautiful things. But the thing about them is they're fleeting, right? You're enjoying something. It's like that cozy moment where you're like, oh, it could be so, this is so comfortable in my bed. And all of a sudden, a baby cries. Or all of a sudden, you're like, oh, the alarm goes off and you have to be responsible, Right? I mean, there's always something in this life that has a way of disrupting the peace. We cannot even imagine what it's like to have peace so sustained. And that's why at the end of this sermon, I just want to humbly wave my flag and go, that's what's coming. Like uninterrupted peace, where we can actually say the old Bible dictionary, where there'll be a spirit of tranquility and freedom from inward and outward disturbance. I mean, that's going to be glorious, the thought of not just having a peaceful moment here and there. Like, did I have a good, your good day is like if you have a couple windows of peace. On that day, it will be sustained peace throughout every day for an entire day through endless days. And I get the sense of that our experience of peace will not only be sustained, but increased, intensified. One commentator named Matthew Henry put it this way. Glorious things are spoken of Christ's government. There is no end to the increase of its peace, for the happiness of its subjects shall last forever. So I want to just close with this ancient benediction over here. You're going to get another benediction later on, but I couldn't help it. This is from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face of favor toward you and give you peace. Peace that lasts. Peace that's found only in the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, it almost seems too good to be true that we get to look forward to through faith in your son days of endless peace. And I thank you, Lord, that though it seems too good to be true, that it is actually true. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to, I don't have to get up here and give a bunch of sentimental thoughts that have no weight or anchor in reality. But I thank you, Lord, that you anchored reality when you sent your son to shape history and eternity. And Lord, it's my prayer that you would so mercifully help every heart in this room. Lord, I pray for those, I especially feel burdened, Lord, to just pray for those who are constantly hunting for peace. And they're willing to let all kinds of lovers into the house and they just keep stealing peace. And they're not finding it, Lord. I pray pray especially for those, Lord, who think that they've opened every door and they're hopeless tonight. And they want to end it. Lord, I pray that you have mercy. Have mercy. Lord, and help them to see that the way of peace has been paved by the blood of your own dear son. Lord, I pray that they would go through that door and find that savior and that king. And may he rule in their hearts, Lord.
even today, for the first time. And that we'd have the joy of watching them enjoy this kind of peace in the presence of the Prince of Peace for all eternity. Oh Lord, I pray that you would personally, by your spirit, redirect hearts to the Prince of Peace today. Even your own dear children, Lord, who wander, would you redirect their hearts to where they're fully and truly gonna find peace? And Lord, I pray that you would increase a fight in each of our hearts to fight for peace, to know that it's gonna be hard fought in this life. I pray that we would experience it more and more as a foretaste of the peace to come. And so what more can we say then? Lord, we've longed, people have longed for you to come for centuries and you came. And here we are longing again for you to come. We just say, Lord, our minds run to you because we know that you are the one that is gonna usher in an eternity of eternal peace. So we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, O Prince of Peace. In your name we pray, amen.